All right, take your Bibles and turn to everybody's favorite chapter of Romans, chapter 13. In this practical section of the book of Romans, we have seen that Paul, he first deals with the believer's right relationship with God in chapter 12 and verse 1. Where he says, therefore, I exhort you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a sacrifice, living, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Everything that comes after this begins with that verse of us giving ourselves to God. And then Paul talks about the right relationship to the world in verse 2. He says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that you may approve what the will of God is, that, and that which is good and pleasing and perfect. And then Paul talks about in chapter uh, 12, verses 3 through 8, about our relationship to fellow believers. And then in verses 9 through 21, our relationship with everyone, where he says, and I think one of the, mo- one of the, the, the key verses of the rest of The book of Romans from chapter 12 all the way through the end of the book is verse 19. Never taking your own revenge, beloved. Instead, leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And then as we looked at last week in verses 1 through 7 of 13, Paul shows us our relationship with human government and how we are to be in subjection to our government. And so he now focuses here in chapter 13, verses 8 through 14. Paul focuses, again, our attention on others, our relationship uh, that is to be summarized by love. Look at verse 8 of chapter 13. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does not work evil against the neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this, knowing the time. That it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. The night is almost gone and the day is at hand. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. So Paul here is is summing things up with love. Now we need to understand here and make a distinction between biblical love and the world's type of love. You see, biblical world says, I love says, I love you. And I'm going to tell you the truth. Worldly love says, I love you, and I'm going to accept anything you do. Biblical love does not, does not mean acceptance. Okay? And so we need to understand, we need to make that distinction that, that here Paul easily and appropriately passes from the subject of the debt paid to our rulers to the subject of our obligation to all men. Love is what enables us to fulfill all our obligations. By the way, but there in verse 8, when he says, Oh, nothing to anyone except to love one another. I, I have known people, and I want to emphasize this here. Paul is not saying you can't have a car loan or a house loan or anything like that. Paul's not talking about that. Uh, Paul is not saying that love uh, does not allow you to, to have any kind of debt. But Paul says the only debt that we can truly repay, but yet we will never repay, is the debt of love. I am indebted to love you. You are indebted to love me. And we have to know and we have to understand exactly what that means when we say that we love one another. 
The only thing, uh, you know, we need to point out that love is not sentimentalism. Love is not an emotion. Love is something you do. Love is a conscious act of the will. God loves his elect. God loves his own. Do you know why God loves us? Because he chose to. God didn't look down here and say, oh, what good little people. I think I'll love them. Do you know what would happen if God only loved good people? He wouldn't love any of us. <laughs> he wouldn't love any of us. God doesn't do it. God loves us because he chose to love us. And folks, I want you to understand this morning, this, this love that he speaks about here, it translates through all of life. It translates in, in, in our married life. There have been times, she won't admit it, but there have been times she probably didn't love me very much. But she chose to keep loving me. She chose to do that. You know, have you ever heard somebody say, well, I just can't help it. I just fell in love with them. That's not true. That's impossible. You can't just fall in love. If you love someone, you do it intentionally. And so if we are going to love one another, and Paul says, this is the debt that we owe. He says, owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. We need, and, and so, and Paul here, he talks about the law and love. Love and law are not enemies. They are in-laws. They are united by their relationship to Christ. Without Christ, the law is powerless. And without love, the law is directionless. Okay? So we need to hear to, to, to make this distinction because of Christ, the Holy Spirit has been poured into the believer's heart and he enables us to love back in chapter five. Let me turn over here right quick. I believe it's chapter five and verse five. <clears throat> yeah, Paul says, and hope does not put to shame because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So Paul says that the Spirit of God who lives in us, he enables us to love. And this Spirit-empowered love, it involves keeping God's commands. Jesus, talking with his disciples, told them, he says, if you love me, obey me. Now, we have to keep in mind here, you know those two tablets we call the Ten Commandments? You know, the finger of God wrote those commandments. Do you know whose finger that was? That was the finger of Jesus because he is God. And Jesus said, if you love me, obey me. So we come and we say, you know what? I love God. But here's the thing. Does your life bear that out? When, when, when he says, thou shalt not, and he says, says thou shalt do you obey that? And he says, this is how we know that we love one another, that we love God. But, but we see here, this call is, a, is, a, is an ongoing horizontal love. <clears throat> Paul concludes verse 8 with these words. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. How does loving one's neighbor fulfill the law? Well, you know the Ten Commandments. There were two tables to the Ten Commandments. There was one. The first four, they deal with. With our relationship to God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make any graven image. They deal with my relationship with God. The last six deal with our relationship to one another. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not lie. You shall not steal. By the way, you can't do the first, last six until you do the first four. Okay? We must love God first. And if we truly love God first in these commandments. And so Paul here, he says in fulfilling the law, when, when they came to Jesus and they said, they, they asked him, they said, teacher, what is the greatest of the commandments? And he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind and soul. That takes care of the first four. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That takes care of the last six. You see, if I love you, I'm not going to steal from you. If I love you, I'm not going to lie to you. If I love you, I'm not going to murder you. You see how that works? And so here Paul is saying uh, that, that, that we are called to love one another in this way. And, and so when we love our neighbors, we will refrain from doing these things that, that, that hurt one another. And you, know, you may be asking right now, who is your neighbor? 
Who is our neighbor? Is it the guy that lives next door to me? Yes. But it's also the guy that lives across the city from me. It's also the guy that lives across the world from me. Turn with me over to Luke chapter 10. <clears throat> Luke chapter 10. Jesus gives us a very familiar parable. We call it the parable of the Good Samaritan. In Luke chapter 10, we'll begin reading with verse 25. And behold, a scholar of the law stood up and was putting him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall we die do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And a priest happened to be going down the road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. And he came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the next day, he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, the one who showed mercy towards him. Then Jesus said, go and do the same. So here we have a story. The guy says, Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. And, and, and he says, okay, teacher, well, who is my neighbor? So Jesus tells about a man who went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, you know, in the Bible, Jer Jericho was a cursed city. So to go from Jerusalem to Jericho, the only way you could go was down. And he says as he went that he was accosted by some thieves. And they beat him half to death. They stole everything. They left him for dead. Well, later on, a priest comes along. Now, of all people, wouldn't you think the priest would say? But you know what he did? He passed by on the other side. You know, kind of like he was going looking over there saying, I don't see anything. And then he says, later a Levite came along, another religious person. He did the same thing. He just passed by on the other side. Now, when Jesus said a Samaritan, I want to tell you, there were some gasps in his crowd because a Samaritan was looked down on. They were the lowest of the low. But Jesus said a Samaritan came along, saw the man. He went to him and he bandaged his wounds. He poured oil in it. He picked him up. He put him on his, on his own donkey and he took him into town. He told the innkeeper, he said, take care of him. Whatever it costs, I'll pay it. And Jesus said, now who was the neighbor of the man? And he said, well, the one who helped him. So here's what we see. Who is my neighbor? The one that I help. The one that I reach out to. Now I want to tell you what, what, what could have happened. That Levite and that priest probably said, Look at him. Serves him right for going down to Jericho. He's just getting, he's made his bed, let him lie in it. Don't we often say that about people who are in need? We say, you know, I know they need help, but you know what? They caused this on themselves and I'm not going to interfere in their life. That's not our neighbor. Because the Samaritan came along, he didn't care how the man got there. He didn't care what happened to him. He did, all he knew was the man needed help. And he had compassion. He showed mercy on him. And took care of him. And Jesus said. Go and do the same. And so Paul here. When he talks about. How we are to owe no one anything. Except to love one another. And how the law. How when we obey. When we love one another. We're just the fulfillment of the law. So the law says. You shall not. Uh, Paul names some here. You should not commit adultery. You should not murder. You should not steal. You should not covet. 
you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So if I love my, you like I love me, I don't like it when people lie to me, especially if it's somebody I trust. I don't like, you know, if somebody comes to me and says, hey, you know, if my wife says, you know what, I want to know, I want you to know I really love you, and then points a gun at me and pulls a trigger, I'm going to have reason to doubt her love. You understand that? By the way, there's a difference between killing and murder. Okay, that's a whole other sermon we're not going to get into today. But you see what Paul's saying? He's saying, look, you owe a debt of love. And there is a sense in which love for our neighbor is a more obvious measure of where we stand with God than our love for God himself. We can easily convince ourselves that we love God. But it's far more difficult to fake loving your neighbor. You see, God told us that he loves us. He looked at his own and said, I love you. And folks, I can tell you right here, right now, I have given God countless reasons not to. But his love has never wavered. Never. And I look at God and say, Lord, I love you. And he says, obey me. And he says, now, go and love your neighbor. Go and do likewise. So what does loving one another look like? Jesus, you know, Jesus gave us a, a, a tall order. He said, go and love one another like I've loved you. Now, do you love me like Jesus does? Do I love you like Jesus does? I'm supposed to, but we fall short. But we should be striving for that. And you know what that says? If I love you the way that Christ loves me, that means, you ready for this? Listen to me. There is nothing Not one single thing you could ever say, do, not say, not do to ever make me not love you. Not one thing. You know, I I, I have, you know, as as a pastor and a preacher, I have had countless people come to me for for counseling and say, you know, well, we want to get a divorce. You know, I just don't love her anymore. And I told a guy one time, I said, that's not true. And he said, no, I don't love her anymore. And I said, that is not true. I said, you never loved her. Because if you did, you still would. That's how it works. We are called to love the way that Jesus loves us. And we can, we, and, 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 and as I just said, sometimes how I love you and how you love me is more an indication of where I stand with God than whether I sit here and tell you I love God And you judge that. You understand that? How we treat one another. Have you ever wondered why God is so adamant that we love one another? You know, if you read the the book of 1 John, that entire book, John uses love one another, love one another. He, He says it over and over and over and over and over. Love one another. Because it's a command. And So our love for others provides a helpful measure of our spiritual state. You may say things I don't like. I may, I will say things you won't like. But does that change your love for me? Does it change my love for you? You may do things that I don't think are appropriate or that I don't like. I may do things, I will do things that are inappropriate and that you won't like. But does that change anything? Does that make you not love me? Does that make me not love you? You see, this is the indication of where we are right here. When we say, I love you, the way that God has called us to love, and the Spirit of God is what enables us to love this way. Listen, folks, we don't have the capacity within us to love the way that God has commanded us to love. We don't. 
I do not have it in me to love you the way Jesus does. But when the Spirit of God dwells in me, I do. You know, I'll be honest with you. There are people that I've had to say, Lord, I can't love them. I need you to do it. (laughs) And you know what? He's done it. And I have found, you know, there's a guy that I know. We used to just go round and round. He didn't agree with what I taught in the Bible. I didn't agree with what he taught in the Bible. And we would just, I mean, sometimes it would get pretty heated. And we just generally didn't like each other. And, And I felt very convicted by this. This was years ago. And I said, Lord, I want to love him. But he's making it really difficult. (laughs) And you know what I realized? I was too. I was making it difficult. And I said, Lord, love him through me. Today, that guy's one of my best friends. He's like a brother to me. He feels the same way. Because that's how God works in that day. And you know what? He still doesn't agree with what I teach. And I still don't agree with what he teaches. That's right. I would agree with him. I told him one time, I said, I'd agree with you. Then we'd both be wrong. So, but listen, this is how our love provides a helpful measure for where we are in our Christian walk. And so we see that, that, that there's that, that horizontal love. And then verses 11 and 12, there's an urgent call. The word that Paul uses there, look in verse 11 and 12. He says, and do this knowing the time. What time is he talking about? Knowing the time. Paul here is not talking about what day it is or what time of day it is or what year it is. Paul is talking about what kind of time it is. And do you know what kind of time it is? It's the last days. You know, the last days began when Jesus was here. And they will culminate with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, the, the, you know, every one of the apostles that wrote letters, Paul, Peter, John, all of them, they anticipated the coming of Christ at any moment. Today, we anticipate that at any moment. And Paul says this. He says, and do this knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from your sleep. For you to awaken the last days, as I said, began with this. Uh, the, this brings an urgency to the matter of loving on the level. Loving one another the way that we're called to love. Uh, we as believers, we need to wake up from our spiritual sleep and begin to love one another while we have the opportunity. Loving our neighbors while we have the opportunity. Now, you know that man that, that, that came down from Jerusalem to Jericho, was left half dead. The Samaritan picked him up, took him and had him. I wonder when he woke up and realized who it was that helped him. I wonder what he thought. Because I'm telling you something, the Jews hated the Samaritans. And I wonder if he said, hey, don't tell anybody who it was brought me here. Or I wonder if he went and said, hey, do you know what his name was? Do you know where I can find him? See, the whole neighbor thing works both ways. And so we need to understand that that, that in order to, listen, if you have submitted yourself To God as a living sacrifice. If you are not being conformed to this world. If you are being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul says here's the evidence. You'll love without hypocrisy. Your love will be genuine. He says you will not try to seek vengeance. You'll not rebel against your government. And you'll love one another with a real love. You'll love your neighbor as yourself. These are the evidences. All of these, everything Paul says in this chapter is evidence of what he says in the first two verses of chapter 12. 
This brings an urgency to us. We as believers need to wake up and we need to understand that each ache, each gray hair, each new wrinkle, each funeral is a reminder that it's later than it's ever been before. He says there in the last part of verse 11, for now salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Every single day we get closer to that day when I will stand before a holy God and I will give an account of my life. Now, let me tell you something, believers. When I stand before that holy God, I will not give an account of my sin. That's done. That is over. That is settled. Jesus settled that at the cross. Jesus settled that when I placed my faith and trust in him. But he says that I will give an account of my life of what I've done since then. Will he find us loving one another? Will he find you loving me as you love yourself? Will he find me loving you as I love myself? And let me tell you something that love does. <clears throat> when I say to you, I love you, and it's genuine, that means that I'm going to preach what this book says whether you like it or not, whether I like it or not, that I'm going to preach what this book says, even if it makes you mad at me. And believe me, that has happened more than once. I don't like that. I do not like that at all, but I will not apologize for it because I love you. And that's what love does, loving our neighbor as ourselves. Because you see, if, if there's something about me that you know, that I may be overlooking, maybe I'm ignoring, and you know it's the truth and it's hurting me, I need you to tell me. You know that? I need you to tell me. I need you to come and say, you know, pastor, you're doing this, and that's, you know, we don't think that's appropriate thing for you as a pastor to be doing. Now, I'll probably get mad at you. So what? Who cares? I'll get over it. <laughs> but tell me the truth. And that's what I have to do. And so we, we, if we're going to love one another in this way, that is part of it. Uh, we need to understand that it is later than it's ever been before. And it's time for us to love our neighbors as ourselves. And Paul says that the consummation of our salvation is very near. And ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you, it is very near, even at the door. As believers, we are saved. We are being saved. And we will be saved. I love that. I have been saved. I am being saved and I will be saved. I've been saved from the penalty of my sin. I am being saved from the power of sin, and one day I will be saved from the very presence of sin. That's the next step, ladies and gentlemen, and I can't wait. You know, I love what John MacArthur says. He says, you know, when I get to heaven, it's not going to be the golden streets that's going to attract my attention. He said, it's not going to be the gates of pearl. He said, it's not even going to be my loved ones. He said, it's going to be no sin. That's what I'm going to love. No sin. It'll be gone. But in the meantime, we need to understand there's an urgency for us to do what we're called to do. Final salvation and judgment are coming. And so we should not be asleep to these realities. And I see today in the churches and across our country today and across the world, we see believers who are asleep and Paul says it's time to wake up. And not, listen, he's talking about something specific. He's not saying wake up to all the false religion and the false teaching going on out there, although we ought to do that, but that's not what he's talking about. He doesn't say wake up and understand your opportunities to have a place to go and worship God and you better go. He's not that we should do that, but that's not what he's talking about. Paul's saying wake up and understand you better love one another because by this, Jesus said, will all men know you're my disciples when you have love for one another. That's how the world will know we belong to Christ. The world's not going to say, you know what, I, I have so many who say to me, you know, I know I'm saved because I'm a church member. 
Hey, I want to tell you something, folks. Satan is more faithful in coming to this church than many church members in this church are. He's here every time. Being a church member don't mean anything. Somebody says, well, I've been baptized. Well, good for you. When you get to heaven, Jesus is not going to say, now, before I can let you in, were you a member of a church? Did you get baptized? Now, we should do those things. But it's not those things that gain us our salvation. So we understand that one day we will stand before him and he will say, Did you love? Do they know you belong to me because they saw your love? You know, we have a, we have a tendency, and hey, we're all guilty of this, okay? Me included. We have a tendency to categorize people. You know, you got the sinners over here, you got the really bad sinners over here, and then there's me. Isn't that how we do it? I mean, I love the saying that says, you know, Jesus, when he was here, you realize who he hung out with, the drug dealers, the prostitutes. But he did not participate in their sin. He called them out of it. But we have a tendency to look down on certain people. Listen, I want to tell you something, folks. You, this, and, and I say this because I have seen this. And to me, this is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever seen in a church. I have seen, I saw one time where I, as a pastor, had a lady come to me after church and she said, Okay, look, you need to tell that black man to leave and don't come back. And I said, If he goes, I'm leaving with him. There's no place for that in God's church. Love doesn't see color. Does dog, love doesn't see rich or poor. So when we love, it must be genuine love. You see, that kind of love that she had was hypocritical love. I love you as long as you're who I want you to be or who I want to hang around with. And love does not do this. Not true love. So we need to wake up to the reality that judgment is coming and our, the end of our salvation is near. And you and I will give an account to Christ when he looks at me and says, Did you love those people that I gave you the way I loved you? And I want you to know, folks, I do love you from the bottom of my heart. Now, I don't love you like Jesus does, but I'm trying. I'm trying. I mean, I'm just a man too, believe. Remember that. Don't ever forget that, please. <laughs> you know, like I said, no matter what my wife says, I do have my faults. I'm not perfect. But then Paul talks about the specifics of the call to horizontal love. There at the end of verse 12, he says, Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. Paul tells us there is something we must put off and something we must put on if we're going to succeed in loving at the level he's called us to. There are certain things that I have to do. There are certain things that I have to put off, certain things that I have to put on. And Paul is specific here about the works of darkness that we are to put off. He talks about sexual immorality. This word, those two words translate from a Greek word that just basically means bed is what it means. And, and the idea here is a sensuality. Uh, he talks about sensuality and this refers to someone who has no shame. You ever known anybody like that? People that just have no shame whatsoever. And Paul says that as believers, we are to put these things off. And it gives the idea, these two together give the idea of those whose lives are centered around sex. Now listen, we live in a pornographic society. You can't watch TV. Hey, when I was a kid, okay, that's not true. Even now, I love watching 
Looney Tunes cartoons. I, lo- I can sit and laugh at them like, like I'm 10 years old. I've watched some of the cartoons my grandkids watch, and I am shocked. Number one, that their parents are letting them watch it. Number two, that they're even putting out cartoons like this. Listen, when I was a kid, there was nothing safer for a kid than a place called Disney. And today, it is one of the most profane and abominating places out there. And they're using cartoons to do it. And Paul says that these things are not to be named. We must put these things off. He talks about strife and jealousy. Many believers, I've seen people, they believe it's their duty to keep others in their place. I had a lady tell me in a church one time, she said, Pastor, she said, I want you to know, I know what my role is here, and it's to make sure you do what you're supposed to do. She was serious. She wasn't joking. And she lived out what she said. Paul says, there's no place for strife and jealousy amongst God's believers. There is no... We're all, we're all different. You know, I'm a Cowboys fan. Some of you still need to be saved. I love Whataburger. Some of you still need to be sanctified. But you see what I'm saying? There are some that don't like these things. There, there are some things that I believe about this book. And there are some things you don't. But I want to tell you something. We have to remember the essentials and the non-essentials. There are some essentials that if I believe, you better believe or you and me are going to have a problem in this church. But there are some things that I believe you may not. And I say, you know what? That's not going to keep you or me out of heaven. That's a non-essential. And so we look at these things. And we say there's no place for us to, for there to be strife and jealousy in the church. I'm no different than you. You're no different than me. And Paul says we must put these things away. And and by the way, do you know what this strife and jealousy leads to? It leads to something that I have told you many, many, many times will kill a church quicker than anything. Gossip. It leads to gossip. And this is the kind of thing we must stop. And Paul says, we got to put away these things. Notice that this is something that I have to consciously, actively do. You know, look at verse 14. Paul says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. What kind of movies are we watching? What kind of TV shows are we watching? What kind of music are we listening to? You know, I, hey, I, I told you here, you know, I am a huge Merle Haggard fan. I love Haggard. And I used to, I don't really listen to him much anymore because, he, you know, I began to think about the fact that I would sit here, you know, usually when I'm out in my shop working or doing something, I love to listen to Merle. And here I am standing in a pulpit talking about the sin of drunkenness, listening to Merle saying, I think I'll just stay here and drink. Now, that don't like to go together, does it? Do you know what I had to do? I had to put off those things. And I tell you, I took all his music off my phone. All of it. I took all the secular music off my phone. Except Elvis now. We all know that's got to stay. But listen, Paul says, put these things off. And, and, and this is what many believers today, uh, that such behavior can never exist in a heart that is truly loving his neighbor. Now, let me show you what, why I just told you what I did. If I love you the way that I'm supposed to love you, then I have to put these things out of my life. Not only for my sake, but for yours as well. By the way, you have to do the same. You have to do the same. So Paul says, put off these things. Get rid of them. In verse 14, he says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Verse 14 refers to the day-to-day -day repeated putting on of Christ. We are to embrace Him again and again every day. We are to constantly bow to His Lordship. That Jesus Christ is both Savior and Lord. And I am to bow to no one but Him. No one but Him. But I want to tell you something. If I come to Christ... And I bow before him as Lord. And I haven't put off these deeds of darkness Paul talks about. He tells me, he says, get up. This ain't going to work. Paul says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We do that by faith. By every day recognizing that Jesus is Lord of my life. Loving on this level comes from the negative, putting off the works of, of darkness. And the positive, putting on Christ day by day. This is where we gain the capacity to love. It's only as I am in submission to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that I can love you the way I'm supposed to love you. Listen, there is another way I can love you. I can love you as long as you agree with everything I say. I can love you as long as you do what I say. I can love you as long as I'm getting something back from you. But when all that stops, then I don't love you anymore. That's worldly kind of love. That's not biblical love. To love this way, we must put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question, ladies and gentlemen. Have you put on Christ? Have you put him on? Do you put him on every single day? And by the way... Until you come to the place where you understand that you are a sinner, dead in your sins, under the wrath of God, an enemy of God, and you need to turn to Christ and in repent of your sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will never be able to do this. You'll never be able to do it. You'll never be able to put on Christ until you first have Christ. And so Paul says, put on Christ. And notice what happens when you put on Christ. You make no provision for the flesh. One final point. Our ability to love comes from God's love to us. First John chapter 4 verse 19 says, We love because He first loved us. Do you realize how wonderful that verse is? I love because God first loved me. He took the initiative. And if I am to love you the way he loves me, what does that tell me? I have to take the initiative. I have to say, well, you know what? I'm going to love so-and-so as soon as they stop doing this. I'm going to love so-and-so as soon as they start dressing better, come to church more. No, it says I'm going to love you whether you like it or not. I'm going to love you because I have put on Christ. And his love reaches down to us in Christ. And it is poured out, Paul says, in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And we return it back to God and to those around us. God's great love is the source and the motivation of my love. Now let me ask you a question. Does God love you? Does he? How do you know that? How do you know God loves you? By the way, remember now, God doesn't love everybody. That's not biblical. God loves his own. And that's the only one he loves. But does he love you? And if you are his own, yes. But how do you know he loves you? Well, Paul tells us that there in Romans, that God demonstrated his love for us. And that, listen to this, while we're still sinners... Okay, let me read that the way that we like to read it. God demonstrates our love for his love for us in that after we cleaned our life up. No, while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, if I'm going to love you the way God loves me. Then that means that no matter what you do, no matter what state you're in, I love you. Can you do that? I can't either. 
but he can. So God's love for us, the love that God has shown to us that when we were dead in trespasses and sins, God looked down. He said, I love you. I'm, he raised me. He gave me life. He gave me faith. I believed in Christ. I was saved. And I look at that and say, wow. You know, uh, in the book of first John, John, John chapter verse, John three, one behold, John says, what manner of love the father has given to us. John says, I am just in awe of this love of God. Are you in awe of God's love that you deserved hell for eternity? But yet in an instant, he gave you life and he forgave every sin. His love for us is the motivation for us to love one another. So listen, let us cultivate a sense of debt. Love is a debt that we will never fully pay to one another. But let's cultivate that in our lives, that, that I owe you my love. And you owe me your love. Let us enlarge our definition of who our neighbor is. And it's real simple. Everybody. That's the definition of neighbor. Anybody and everybody you come in contact with. Let us cultivate a sense of the time. It's later than it's ever been before. It's time for us to wake up. Let us consciously put off the works of darkness and put on Christ every day. And let us make no provision for the flesh. Direct your mind to the beauty of Christ. And remember that precious blood that was shed that our sins might be wiped away. How do you, how do, you do that? How, well, let me rephrase it. How do we not do that? How do we not love one another after what God has done for us? Jesus said, to whom the one who has been forgiven much will love much. And by the way, you and I have been forgiven much more than we will ever know. You know, there's an old song that I used to sing, and there's a line in the song, <clears throat> and it says, he forgot, I'll ever know. And the point of the song is, well, how much he's forgiven me that he, and how he forgets our sins. And he's forgotten sins that I don't even know I did. And I look at God and say, why? And he says, because I love you. That's why. For the love of God. And it should cause us to love one another in this same way. So let's cultivate this. One day soon, Jesus will come. He will eradicate this, this world of sin once and for all. And you and I need to live this day and every day in light of that day. We don't have time to mess around. We don't have time to play. We must be prepared to stand before a holy God and give an account of our life. And when he looks at me and says, all them sermons you preached, why'd you do that? Well, Lord, I like for people to look at me while I talk. I'm serious. Is that why I do it? I say, well, Lord, I was a pastor, and I kind of liked that elevated position you gave me. These are all wrong answers, by the way. I say, Lord, because I love you, and I love them. And I told them the truth, even when they got mad at me. And he says, good, well done. But, but you don't have to be a pastor. What about you? What about you in your everyday life? You know, you don't get up here and preach every Sunday. You don't, you don't uh, lead Bible studies and all that. But what about the day when you stand before Christ and you give an account and he says to you, and, and here's the thing, 
we believe in the providence of God, okay? The sovereignty of God, that there is not one single second of my life from beginning to end that God has not ordained. He knows the day of my death. He knows how many days he's given me to live. I don't know when it is, and I'm glad I don't know, by the way. But he knows. And every person that comes into your life, every situation that comes into your life, as a believer, God has ordained for a purpose. And we're going to give an account for how we obeyed in that purpose. You understand that? So that's why I say we must learn to live every day in light of that day. And so Paul says, wake up. Wake up, people, because the night is almost gone and the day is at hand. So put off the deeds of darkness and put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, oh God, as we come before you this morning, humbling ourselves, Father, help us, God, to love like you love us. Father, may we present our bodies a living sacrifice to you. Lord, that your spirit might love through us. That we would not let petty differences come between us. That, Father, we would keep the main things the main thing. And, Father, that we would love one another. That we would love our neighbors as ourselves. That we would show the world that we belong to you by our love that we have for one another. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your love. Thank you for the love that you've shown us in sending Jesus to die. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your love for us in coming and giving your life a sacrifice for us all. We thank you for the love of your spirit who lives in us, who is sanctifying us, making us fit to be in your presence. We thank you for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. And turn to him, 174. Give me Jesus.